O God of our salvation, grant us to trust that because of your grace, all shall be well. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. There are things in life and in faith that we wonder about, even if we do not worry about them. Things that we are curious about or questions that we have for which the answer is not really make or break. And that's not to say that such topics are not important, that they don't have an impact on us. It's just they're not foundational to how we live life and follow Jesus Christ. And so given the season that we are in and the readings that we heard this morning, I want to talk about one of these topics that perhaps you have wondered about, the virgin birth. To start, let's define terms. The virgin birth means that Jesus was not made or born in the way that we are. For better or worse, we all have two earthly parents. But Jesus is different. He was not created from the cells of Mary or Joseph. Rather, Jesus was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, as the creed puts it. Now, I'm not saying that you have to believe this in a literal way. You're welcome to. But I'm simply defining the term in a way that would be appropriate for churchgoers of any age. And so the virgin birth is a way of saying that the conception and the birth of Jesus happened in a special way. And this concept of the virgin birth is not about what Mary did or did not do prior to Jesus being born. Because the doctrine of the virgin birth isn't even really about Mary. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I hope that none of you have ever lost sleep at night pondering this question of whether or not Jesus was born of a virgin. But it is still an important question because the answer is, as is said of Mary in the Hail Mary prayer, the answer is full of grace. Now, it's a doctrine that's often debated. People who want to dismiss Christianity as being a fairy tale will often bring this up as they scoff they believe in stuff as crazy as virgins giving birth. And so one solution is for us Christians to respond with something like, well, maybe some Christians take everything literally, but I'm not one of those Christians. Or we say, sure, we used to think that before we understood how gestation and biology work, but no one takes that stuff seriously anymore. Perhaps you've even heard a priest or yourself give a response that sounds similar to that. And I certainly understand those sorts of responses. I would never say something like, like that today, but a decade ago, I might have. The issue with simply dismissing the idea of the virgin birth is that, along with it, we end up dismissing such tremendous grace, which I'll say more about in a bit. At this point, though, let's just sit with the idea of the virgin birth and let it speak to us instead of us lining up to tell that doctrine what we think of it. Now, to be a little bit more critical instead of reactive, some dismiss the idea of the virgin birth as a pagan legend, which the gospel writers picked up and used as a way of saying, see, our Messiah is just as special as your deity. Both Matthew and Luke, who wrote the two nat nativity stories in scripture, were Jewish. And Jews did not think much of pagan legends. Matthew, hearing this propaganda, 
that Caesar was born by divine intervention and then thinking, oh, that's a good one. I'm going to have to work that into my gospel. <laughs> it's absurd. Faithful Jews wanted to distance themselves from pagan myths, not mimic them. So if we choose to embrace the virgin birth, we are not adopting pagan myths. Rather, we are opening ourselves to a grace that is beyond our ability to fully comprehend. Others are, rightfully, weary of affirming the virgin birth because of a lot of unchristian and degrading purity culture that often goes along with it. A lot of people have been hurt and harmed by being told that because of their past, they are no longer good, pure, or worthy. And this is not just about our romantic past, all sorts of things that we have done. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, full stop. No asterisks, no exceptions. After all, it was an angel of the Lord who said, you are to name him Jesus, and that name Jesus means God saves, for he will save people from their sins. No matter what you have done, no matter what you have not done, your sins are forgiven. And that does not mean that there's no reconciliation or restitution for us to do to rebuild those things that we have broken, but our sins are not counted against us. We are not defined by our mistakes. None of us is the worst thing that we have ever done. We are the beloved, redeemed, and forgiven people of God. God's messenger proclaimed our purity before God. So who are we to say otherwise? But because of our over-sexualized culture, we are uncomfortable anytime this topic is even alluded to. That's our problem, not scriptures. Because the virgin birth is not a moral statement. It is about the power of God to make a way out of no way. All of the wrong done by the church to people in the name of behavior control, purity culture, and shame over our bodies is lamentable. And if you have ever received that harm, in the name of the church, I am sorry for that. Now, I'm always faithful to the tradition that we have received, and so I do confidently say the Virgin Mary when we get to that point in the creed and in the prayers when it's warranted, but I don't gratuitously use that title for her because that's not the point. Mary, nor any woman, should not be reduced to the history of her relationships. I've never heard anyone refer to the Virgin Paul so if the description's about purity, then we really need to be careful about it. Because again, the virgin birth is not a commentary on morality. And just because many people abuse it in that way to advance their own agendas does not mean that we should reject it altogether. Now, another objection to the virgin birth is a little bit more academic, and it gets rather technical because we have to talk about the translation of Hebrew words into Greek and then into English, while also exploring the full range of meanings that each of these words carry. And as much fun as a linguistic lesson might be, that's not the gospel I want to share this morning. The basic gist of the argument is that the word used in Isaiah, which Matthew quotes, means something like maiden or young girl. It does not necessarily correlate to her past. Furthermore, the prophecy of Isaiah was not given to the people of Israel so that they would have hope 
that one day, centuries later, after they had all died, that a Messiah would then come and this Messiah would be divinely conceived. No, Isaiah's prophecy comes in a context of political struggle and warfare. The word of hope given by God to the people through Isaiah was a present hope for them. The meaning of the prophecy of Isaiah is that because God will redeem the people, life will go on. Things as normal as young women having babies will continue. This is not the end. And the sign that the Lord is giving to Ahaz is that by the time such a young woman has a child and that child is old enough to eat curds and honey, that the dread of this warfare will be over. It's a prophecy that says, your suffering will not last forever. Now, yes, by the power of the Holy Spirit who inspired Isaiah, this prophecy might mean more than Isaiah could ever realize that it does. But the prophecy does not mean less than what it meant for Isaiah either. Therefore, some will dismiss this idea of the virgin birth, saying, well, the word is actually young girl. And this was not a prophecy about the future. It was about the present time for them. The argument is that Matthew picked up a word in Hebrew and then into Greek uses a more restrictive translation that gets us virgin instead of young woman. On linguistic grounds, some will dismiss this whole conversation of the virgin birth as a mistranslation gone awry. And sure, maybe Isaiah never meant this prophecy to be taken this way. But when has God ever been limited by our understanding? The last objection that I will mention is one that I've been alluding to throughout Advent, that we live in a disenchanted world. In short, we have a poverty of imagination because our understanding of science does not allow for the birth of a child without certain biological processes happening first. But I don't think any of us got up and dressed this morning to come worship a deity who is limited by our imaginations. Otherwise, we've wasted a perfectly good Sunday morning. Now, those are some of the reasons why people, even people of very good faith, dismiss the idea of the virgin birth. I am not going to try to present the other side. I am not going to convince you why you should not cross your fingers when you get to that part of the creed. Instead, I want to talk about the grace that is found in this doctrine. And we always have to start from a place of humble unknowing. None of us knows the mind of God. I don't know that we would have picked Israel to be the chosen people, but God did. None of us would have come up with crucified Messiah as the path to salvation. So if the one who created the stars, galaxies, laws of physics, and all living things, who sustains all things and redeems all things, has decided that it is best to be born into creation through the same Holy Spirit who gives us life, who enables people to seek forgiveness, who inspires people to lay down their lives in love for one another. Who are we to then say, but that doesn't make sense? None of life makes sense. So we need to give up our need to be in charge and have all the answers. Because what the virgin birth shows us is that it is all about grace. God's salvation does not depend on the actions of men and women. 
God is not sitting around waiting for us to open the right doors and windows. But rather, God is the one who split the Red Sea apart so that the people could escape slavery in Egypt. God is the one who shut the mouths of the lions when Daniel was in their den. God is the one who gave children to Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, Hannah, Ruth, and Elizabeth. God is the one who gave strength to David, Esther, and Judith to stand up to the enemies of Israel. God is the one who led Rosa Parks to sit down and Martin Luther King to stand up. God is the one who paved the way for truth and reconciliation in South Africa. God is the one who helps addicts put down the bottles and the pills. God is the one who takes jealous and stingy people and turns us into cheerful and generous givers. God is the one who came to us as a Jewish man who lived briefly, died violently, and rose unexpectedly on the third day. And while all of these feats involved human participation, not a one of them required any human initiative. God is always the first mover. Before we plan anything, God is. Before we say anything, God was. Before we do something, God will be. The virgin birth is a doctrine of grace, about the sovereignty of God to make a way out of no way, to be gracious and loving enough to include us in our own salvation. It's not about biology. It's about God's unwavering commitment to us, about God who always takes the initiative to save us, about God's refusal to abandon us to our own devices. And there's also so much grace in what, genetically speaking, the virgin birth suggests. Because Matthew makes it very clear that the linkage of Jesus to the fulfillment of the promise to David is fulfilled through Joseph. But it's also clear that Joseph is not the father, meaning that the promises of God do not depend on us getting things literally or exactly right. This grace reminds us of God's adoption of us all. Romans speaks of the spirit of adoption in which we are grafted into the vine of Israel. Ephesians says that God destined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Galatians reads that we are redeemed so that we might receive adoption as God's children. In other words, God has chosen us. We don't have to have the right lineage. We don't have to have gotten everything correct. We do not have to be perfect people to be loved by God because we have been chosen, adopted by God. Joseph adopts Jesus, thereby bringing him into the lineage of David, just as God has adopted us all and brought us into the blessing of being God's chosen and beloved community. This is what the virgin birth is all about. A God who doesn't worry about the limits of humanity, but who transcends all boundaries to redeem us. Thanks be to God that we are loved by a God who would do and continues to do things so gracious, audacious, and unlikely 
as to do something beyond our ability to understand to save us.